All right. Well, we are in our two-week mini-series, uh, a next-gen series. If you missed last week, especially if you are a parent or grandparent or someone that works with uh, the younger generation, would encourage you to check out that message. You can find it on our website. Uh, that message was about one of our parenting principles here at Northbrook, which is create a rhythm. Uh, create a rhythm is all about the idea that one of the best things you can do for the next generation is increase the quantity of quality moments that you spend with the next generation. Uh, because passing down values and investing in our youth, it all starts out of relationship. Uh, so that was last week, and so today we're going to cover the last of the five parenting principles. Uh, we covered three of them last year. You can find those messages in uh, the on the website in the archives if you're interested in those. Uh, but last year we covered the first three parenting principles, which are fight for the heart, make it personal, and have a good babysitter on standby. Okay, actually, that third one is not a parenting principle. It's just good advice. Uh, the third, third one is widen the circle. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Um, and so create a rhythm, and now we come to the fifth and final parenting principle. And let me just say, I want to say four things before we dive in, uh, four things that I think are important to cover. So number one, uh, my hope today and my prayer is that this message would not add any guilt, shame, or regret to anyone in the room. I know that any time that we start talking about parenting, um, it's very easy for anyone that has been a parent or is a parent to immediately think about all the things they wish they would have done differently. And uh, I know as a parent, it's much easier for me to focus on the days where I feel like I failed my kids than it is the days where I feel like I rocked it. And so um, let me just say, uh, I really want to encourage all of us in the room to not allow what is going to be said uh, to let us go into shame, regret, guilt about the past. But rather, my hope and my prayer is that what's said today will encourage us as we look ahead to the future of how we can continue uh, to invest in, even if our, our grown children or grandchildren or people in our life, how can we, how can we live well today, tomorrow, and looking forward? Um, and I do want to say one other thing for anyone in the room that is wrestling with parent guilt or regret, when, you know, when we bring up a topic like this, uh, if I can just encourage you, you look at Jesus' life, and Jesus had 12 disciples. He had 12 uh, young men that he invested three years in. In fact, we believe that 11 of the 12 were teenage boys, right? Peter's probably in his early 20s, but the other 11 probably teenage boys. And so Jesus invests in these boys. Uh, he disciples them. He is a mentor to them for three years, very intense discipleship process, mentoring. And I mean, talk about the perfect mentor, right? I mean, it's God in human form as your mentor, right? And he is walking on water, and he's turning water into wine, and he's raising the dead, and he's calming storms, and like, I mean, what, what a mentor. And after three years of this mentorship program, one of the twelve still betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. And what that tells me, if, if that can happen to Jesus... What that tells me is even the best parent, the best mentor, the best person on earth, no matter how well you invest in someone, at the end of the day, they still have to make their own choices. And no matter how well you do, no matter how, you can be Jesus, and at the end of the day, someone can choose to betray you. And so parents in the room, God gives grace and forgiveness for where we fall short, and the reality is we do the best we can, and then at the end of the day, free will is a thing, and our, our young people have to make their own choices. So I just hope that is encouraging to those of us that are wrestling uh, with a little guilt or regret. 
Secondly, um, if you are not a parent or grandparent in the room, maybe you don't actively have young people in your life, I just want to challenge you that this is not a week where you can just kind of zone out. Um, this is not the week where you can just start thinking about what's for lunch, the grocery list. Um, I want to encourage you that I really feel like there is something here for, for all of us. Um, here at Northbrook, we believe that generations need each other. It's one of our values. And we believe everyone in this room and watching online has an opportunity uh, has opportunities to invest in, in people around them that are younger. Um, even it's as simple as the way that you interact with a teenager at the grocery store who's checking out your groceries. Or even if it's as simple as the way you interact with uh, neighborhood kids or people at work that are younger than you. We all have opportunities um, to invest, encourage, challenge the next generation. And so I want to encourage you, um, it may be a little more difficult than for parents, but I want to encourage you to still lean in and think about how you can apply what we're talking about to your uh, your life. Third, um, if you were here last week, you're going to notice some overlap this week between this week and last week, and that's intentional uh, because we believe that once you increase the quantity of quality moments you spend with the next generation, what we're going to talk about today um, just becomes a part of that and kind of flows out of that. Lastly, my wife and I, we have three kids. I said last week, they're 12, 10, and 7. And I just want to be clear that I'm not standing up here saying, I'm a perfect parent, you should be more like me and figure it out. Um, not at all. Rather, I'm saying that uh, uh, we are, my wife and I, we are on the parenting journey. In fact, if you want to talk about a perfect parent, that would be more my wife than me. Um, and so we are, we're not perfect parents. We're figuring this out. Uh, alongside you. Um, there are days where we feel like we're rocking this parenting thing, and then there are other days where we look at each other and we say, you'll never guess what your kid did. <laughs> Anybody else do that? So we are on this journey, and uh, this is what God has been showing us, and so um, this is not me saying I've got this all figured out, but rather this is the journey that my wife and I are on, and uh, you're welcome to listen in. Okay, enough setup. When I was a kid, I loved playing video games. Of course, my video games that I had growing up look a lot different than the video games that my kids play now. Um, but I love sports video games, and I remember one of the first sports video games that I ever played. It was on a friend's computer. It was called Oral Hershiser's Strike Zone. Uh, Oral Hershiser was a pitcher. Um, anybody actually remember playing that game, by the way? Uh, Saturday night, there were actually a few that knew what I was talking about. But anyway, it was a baseball game, and young people in the room, the graphics are going to blow you away. Check out these graphics. Is that not the best? I remember playing that game, and like I think you hit the space bar to swing, and then like you used the arrow keys to like I, I don't know. It was it was great. It was like wow, how could life get any better than this? We're playing a video game, um, and I remember playing other games uh, as I grew up. Tech Mobile, anyone? Anyone play Tech Mobile? Yes, such a great game. And uh, I remember playing the earlier versions of Madden, where like all the people looked the exact same, right? Like the linemen, the running back, like the quarterback, they all looked the exact same. The only thing that was different was the numbers on their backs. And uh, I remember playing that. And then one of my favorite basketball games uh, that I started playing in high school was this game called NBA Street. Anybody remember NBA Street? A few of you? NBA Street, it's kind of like NBA Jam for those of you that, are, that remember that game from the arcades. Um, NBA Street, they were like, it was a three-on-three game. And at the beginning of the game, you got to create this character. You got to make them whatever you wanted to look like. And then uh, you had 422 points to put in different categories. I think we have a picture kind of help you understand. So you had these 422 points, and you had eight different categories. Each category went up to 100 points. So you couldn't make your person awesome in everything. You had to pick what they were going to be good at 
and then what they were going to be mediocre or just bad at. And so I would always uh, make my people super quick and really good at shooting because I figured if they can be quick and good at shooting, we'll figure everything else out. Um, but as, this, as the game went on and you beat other teams, you were allowed to add more points. You could increase the categories that they were low in. You kind of got to create this player. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking it would have been so awesome if when our oldest daughter, Charity, was born, the nurse had walked up to me with an iPad and said, you have 422 points for her. Here's the categories. What would you like? Then like, oh, well, I'll take, uh, we'll take 75 points of determination, take 70 points of kindness, take 80 points of courage, start sarcasm out at a zero because she's going to learn that from me on her own. And is there a category for keeping boys away from her in high school? Let's just bump that up to 100 right from the beginning. But life isn't that simple, is it? But I wonder... Would there be a benefit? Is there a benefit to occasionally evaluating where the young people in our life are at? In the categories that we feel are really important, their character development. And asking ourselves, where do we want them to be a year from now? Or five years from now? Or when they reach adulthood? How often, parents, grandparents in the room, how often, if ever, do you ever evaluate or try to understand where your kids are in their character? And how are you planning to help them improve? Or do they just magically improve? Or think of it this way. If a genie came to you and said you could give a young person in your life any gift, any gift in the world that they could open when they turned 18, what would you give them? Perhaps at first you might be tempted to give them money, a successful career, good friends, book smarts, street smarts, a loathing for sugar, video games, and Netflix. But if you think about it, I think often we're tempted to give our, our young people things that aren't really going to fulfill them. I mean, I'm sure we can all think of plenty of people who had money and success, were popular, and yet they were extremely unhappy. Jim Carrey, uh, was an actor, once said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Tom Brady uh, just retired, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game of football. In a 60 Minutes interview a number of years ago, said he sure hoped there was more to life than what he had. At the time, what he had was a handful of Super Bowls, a supermodel wife, and millions of dollars. John Rockefeller, who was one of the richest man, man on the planet at the time, when asked how much money was enough, replied, just a little bit more. Wouldn't it be tragic if we pushed our kids to go after things that wouldn't even satisfy them when they got them? What if we could give our kids a better gift when they turned 18? The gift of having the attributes, the character, the skills that really matter. What if we evaluated where they were on a regular basis and then worked towards helping them improve in areas like finding their identity in Christ? being confident in who they are in Christ, being thankful, being resilient, 
emotionally intelligent, loving, kind. That's what our last principle is all about. Our last principle is this. Imagine the end. Imagine the end is all about thinking about and defining who you want your child to become when they leave your house. And then creatively finding ways to help them grow each day into that person. Here's why this is important. Because what you give to your children or what you do for them is not as important as what you model for them and help them become. So what would it look like to intentionally help our young people develop in areas that we define as important? I uh, was reading a book last year about a, a couple who had a teenage daughter and they really wanted to teach her the value of hard work. And so they sent her to a family friend's farm for the summer. Some of you like, that would never fly in my house. Maybe that might sound a little extreme, but what are ways that you could intentionally help your children, your grandchildren, the people in your life develop in areas that matter? Perhaps it's just simply simple as going for a day to a homeless shelter, serving food, helping your child develop the idea of kindness and loving others. Perhaps it's finding an opportunity to work for a day or a weekend for someone or something without anything in return. Perhaps it's going on a short-term missions trip, God willing that we're able to go on those again. One of the, one of the things that my wife and I have decided is that our three kids are going to go on a short-term missions trip before they turn 18 because we see tremendous value in having our child go to a different country and interacting with people that are different from them. So what are some of the things, what are some of the, the ways that you could help the people in your life develop in the areas that are important to you. In our text today, we're going to read a story that most of you have heard many times, but I want you to look at it from the angle of how Jesus' actions must have influenced his disciples. Because here's the thing, once we decide what's important, the next question that we have to ask is, are we intentionally modeling for the next generation the values that we say are important? In our text today, we're going to see that Jesus not only taught what was important, but he also modeled it. So in John 13, starting in verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. It's quite the reversal pretty quickly there. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, 
You'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus says, I have set an example for you. And Jesus had three years to take 12 ordinary boys and instill in them the values that they would need after he was gone to literally go into the world and begin to change the world, to start a revolution that thousands of years later would lead us to sitting in this room today. Twelve young boys. And how did Jesus do that? I think he had a very clear process. He defined what was important. He taught it. He modeled it. And then he invited them to do it. He defined what was important. He taught it. He modeled it. And then he invited them to do it. Jesus defined it. Jesus defined what was important. He wasn't interested in making life easy for them. He wasn't interested in giving them a smooth life. He wasn't interested in helping them make a lot of money. Could have easily done that with a fishing charter business, walk-on-water tours, unlimited wine tasting. But that's not what Jesus was about. Jesus wasn't interested in those things. He was interested in helping them develop the skills and the character that they would need after he was gone. So over his three years of ministry, we see his plan at work. Jesus knew that he wanted them to love, and not just love people that they liked, but love their enemies, love the least of these. And so Jesus taught on that, but then more than that, Jesus modeled it. We see him modeling it as he loves the Samaritan woman at the well, as he welcomes the little children, as he loves the lepers and the lame, as he loves tax collectors, as he says on the cross, Father, forgive this, this Roman soldier. He knows not what he does. Throughout Jesus' life, we see him modeling it for his disciples and then inviting them to love others. We read about Jesus telling his disciples to spend time with their Heavenly Father, right? Jesus teaches about the importance of having this life-giving relationship with their Heavenly Father, but then Jesus models it. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus drawing away, going away to pray, to spend time alone with God. And then Jesus invites the disciples to go with him, to get away, to spend time with God. Jesus defines what's important. He models it, teaches it, models it, and invites them into it. And then Jesus tells them that they're to love and have humility, to serve others. He teaches on it, but then we see him in this text modeling it for them by washing their feet and inviting them to do likewise. Jesus knew what he wanted them to know. He taught it, he modeled it, and he invited them into it. And it all started with imagining the end. Jesus knew what he wanted his disciples to live like after he was gone, and everything he did was helping them become that. We can take what we pass down to the next generation to a whole new level when we identify what qualities we want our kids to possess. We teach them those qualities, we model for them those qualities, and we invite them to do them after we're gone. So often, if we're not careful, I think as parents, it's easy for us to parent away from fear instead of towards a vision. In 2022, it's just so easy. There's so much to be afraid of, right? We read the news, and it's so easy, I think, as parents to start parenting with this idea of parenting away from fear, right? All the things that we don't want. I don't, we don't want our kids to get hurt, right? We don't want our kids to be bullied. We don't want our kids uh, to fail. All of these things that we're afraid. And so it's so easy, I think, to parent away from fear. 
As David Thomas says, we, we try to prepare the road for our kids instead of preparing our kids for the road. I heard a true story about a uh, mom. I think she was parenting out of fear. Uh, she, uh, she found out her son got a bad grade on an English paper. And so she decided to go in and talk to her son's teacher about it. And the only thing is her son was in college. So she went into her son's professor, true story, and uh, he had gotten a D on this paper. And she began to argue with the professor that he should have gotten a better grade. And the professor assured her that the grade was quite adequate based on the level of work. And they went back and forth for uh, minutes upon minutes upon minutes. This mom refused to take no for an answer. And finally, the professor began to grow frustrated. And, and he said to her, are you sure that we read the same paper? And she said, well, not only did I read his paper, I wrote it. Now, that's an extreme example. But when I hear that story, what I hear is a mom who's parenting away from fear. She's afraid that her son isn't going to get good enough grades to do well in college, to get a good job. And so rather than parenting towards a vision, a vision of instilling resilience, grit, determination, allowing her son to fail if it means he's going to grow, instead of parenting towards a vision, she's parenting away from fear. What would it look like to evaluate our lives as parents, grandparents, influencers, and ask ourselves, in what ways do we parent away from fear instead of parenting towards a vision of what we want our kids to be? What would it look like instead of trying to prepare the road ahead for our kids, we prepared our kids for the road ahead? So let me ask you, what do you really want your kids to be when they grow up? What are the character traits? What are the values? We talked about this a little bit last week, but if you weren't here or you didn't have time to think about it, maybe this week as an act of worship, one of the best things you can do if you have young people in your house is just sit down and ask yourself, what are the character traits that I care about? What do I want them to be? I want them to love God. I want them to be thankful or resilient, gritty, determined, kind, and then once you, once you develop those, once you develop those, then the next question is, how are you giving them opportunities to grow in those things? I think sometimes we think those things are going to happen in a class, and I said this last week, but, to be, but I'm firmly convinced that most of the ways that our young people grow are not in a Sunday school class. I love church. I love investing in young people. I've done it for the last 16 years, and I love it. But to be clear, I think that what happens on a Wednesday night here in our youth group is not as important as what happens on a Tuesday evening around the dinner table. It's not as important as what happens on a Saturday in the minivan as you drive them to soccer. It's not as important as what happens on a Sunday afternoon as you just hang out around the house. Those are the moments where our young people are learning and growing and becoming the adults that they're eventually going to be. And then after we give them opportunities, I think the next question is how are we modeling them? How are we modeling for our young people the character traits that we say are important? Because if we're not modeling it, I really think the whole process breaks down. For example, for that, for that family that sent their daughter to learn hard work at a farm, if, if, that, if those parents aren't modeling hard work, I think the whole process kind of breaks down. What would it look like to model for our young people the things that we say are truly important? 
In our house, one of the things that we are trying to instill in our kids is the idea of being thoughtful uh, and reflective instead of reactive. It feels like in our world, everyone is rushing about being very reactive, right? You do something and they immediately erupt. And so we're trying to instill this counterculture idea in our children that, and rather than just rush around and be reactive to everything, but to, to step back, to slow down, to be thoughtful and reflective. One problem. Their dad is a reactive, rush-around type of person. I'm always on the go. I'm always uh, just amped up on to the next thing. Um, and I've noticed that about myself. I've noticed that I'm always flying around. Just to give you one example, a couple years ago, we were having a student leader Christmas party, and uh, my wife had everything under control, but I still felt the need to kind of rush around, making sure everything was perfect. And um, one of my daughters, my youngest daughter, was decorating for the party, and so she put this streamer, and the streamer went um, from a wall to a ledge um, in this hallway. And so uh, this, this beautiful streamer was out, and I came rushing through the hallway, like, I don't remember what I was doing, but I, I'm sure it was very important. And uh, rather than, like, a normal person, just, like, slowing down and ducking under the streamer, or, like, detaching the streamer and walking by... I decided that I could do a, like a flying, like lean to the side under it. And so as I went up to it, I just quick leaned. Only thing is there was this ledge here and I smashed my face into the ledge. Like you can actually still see the, uh, the cut right here, like the, the scar, uh, blood everywhere. I was so mad at my daughter because of course it was her fault, but it wasn't because the ledge hadn't moved. And so one thing that I've decided for 2022, one of my spiritual practices is slowing down, is trying to be more reflective and less reactive, is trying to model for my kids the value that I say is important, slowing down and being more thoughtful and present to the moment rather than rushing through it. So I don't know what values are in your home, and I don't know how well you're modeling them, but I wonder if there's an opportunity this week to sit back and evaluate how well you're modeling for a younger generation the values and the things that you say are important. You may have noticed uh, this jar of marbles. Um, in youth group, we like to play a game every once in a while where they have to guess the amount of a certain object. Um, so anyone want to take a stab at how many marbles are in here that weren't here for the earlier services? Anybody? Oh, come on. The other services guessed. 600. Thank you. No, more than 600. 879. More than 879. I like the randomness of that, though. 950. That was really close. 936. That's 950 was very close. 936 marbles. What's the significance of 936? Well, when your child is born, you have approximately around 936 weeks until they graduate from high school. And that seems like a lot, especially if you have young kids at home or you're like, actually, if I could just get some marbles to like, if we could just move this, speed this along, like I get it, right? Like there's days where you're like, if we could just speed this week along, if there's a fast forward button. Seems like a lot, right? Until you start to get into parenting and they get a little older. Those of you that have had children that are grown and now left the house, like you know what I'm talking about. It, it seems to speed up the longer you're a parent. 936 weeks. Parents of five-year-olds, you have 676 weeks. 
Parents of seventh graders, 275 weeks. Parents of freshmen, you got about 170 weeks. Parents of seniors, you got about 15 weeks. What is one week in a child's life worth? I guess it depends on what you do with it. And as I said at the beginning, this is not about guilting or making anyone feel bad about previous decisions. This is about looking ahead. We can't change the past. We do get to change the future. And so parents in the room, what would it look like to make those weeks ahead count? Not to be perfect, but to move forward with progress. Imagining the end when all of these marbles are gone. And deciding what it is you want to give your child, your grandchild. What, what gifts do you want to give them when the last marble is taken out? you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love, and I thank you for your grace that covers our shortcomings. And so, Father, um, I pray for, again, anyone that's feeling guilt or shame, regret, I, I pray against that. I pray they would feel your love, your goodness, your forgiveness, and they would look ahead to opportunities they have as they move forward. Father, I pray a uh, blessing on every family here, and I pray for wisdom, uh, for those of us in the room that have opportunities right in front of us to influence the next generation, may you give us wisdom to, uh, to define what it is that we care about, that we want to pass down. Help us to teach it. Help us to model it. Help us to invite the young people in our lives into opportunities to grow in the character traits that we care about. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.